0: Y'all all got the outline? The one you seen at midnight, uh, 1.30 this morning? Late in the midnight hour. No, we're not doing that. I'm not in the moon for no praise. It sounds like you need it. I came on this morning and Kat said, what are y'all talking about today? I said, pronouns. She said, no, y'all not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got mad.
1: You got <laughs> big <been> mad. <laughs>
0: pronouns are next week. <laughs> you the one that did it, Sam, when you sent me the text message. I was just I was kept sending you Juneteenth stuff.
1: Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. I feel the spirit.
0: And then Brandon, who hates doing morning recordings, schedules an eight o'clock morning recording. That's not how that went. In the
2: midnight hour.
0: Oh, so now you wanna sing.
2: God's gonna turn it around. Now you wanna sing. He's gotta do it on his own time.
1: What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All Saints, and especially the aints. I am the host with the most, the Holy Mother, Brandon Thomas-Maxwell.
2: And I'm Karen Teresa Ricks, but my friends call me Katie. I'm your resident white woman, here to speak from the sometimes monolithic perspective that is whiteness. I can tell you what white folks are thinking and why we shouldn't be thinking that way.
0: Brandon, why did you write that in the <laughs> I wanted to see if she'd read it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I am the best. I'm the one that always comes last. The final bite of the peach cobbler, the part that's mostly crushed. You know what I'm talking about. I'm that last bite of your mama's mac and cheese with hard cheese on the top. The cheese is baked in the oven, not y'all white folks macaron cheese that you make on top of the stove. The Reverend Doctor Samuel Lee White, the Third.
1: You got elevated to doctor.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You're
2: going to, like, speak it into being.
0: Say it until you see it. (laughs) (laughs) I got one of them honorary degrees from an unaccredited institution.
1: (sighs) (laughs) Before we get into it, a few housekeeping notes. This is kind of a choir rehearsal, if you will, or maybe a deacons and trustees meeting. We want to remind you that the first season of Healing Jephthah's Daughters is live on all streaming platforms. If you have not listened yet, scroll on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe or follow Healing Jephthah's Daughters. That's Healing J E P H T H A H apostrophe S Daughters, hosted by Lisa M Weaver. Have y'all listened to the first season yet?
2: I love it. I'm thinking we should put the link to it in the show notes, don't you think?
1: Touche, we'll do
0: that. So you can just click it as opposed to spelling it out. But
2: Sam, have you listened to that one?
0: I listen to it more than I listen to ours. It is great. <laughs> you ain't right. I do not like you. I
2: mean, I record
0: this one. I'm here for it. What do I need to listen to it for?
1: Previously, we've announced that Feel Lab Media would be launching another podcast entitled How to Live When You Are Afraid to Die, hosted by Natalie Faria. That podcast is still coming out. We were planning to release that this summer. However, we're celebrating with Natalie and her husband, Ian. Ian was just ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church, and so we're celebrating that. So Natalie and Ian, we love you. And Natalie, we can't wait for you to join the Theolab Media family with the podcast, How to Live When You're Afraid to Die. Stay tuned for updates on that podcast this fall. Also, it's Pride Month. Y'all already know it's Pride Month. It's been Pride all of the month of June. And we have worked with you, our listeners, to create a THSP Pride playlist that is now available on Apple Music and Spotify. The link is in the show notes if you want to listen and share it with a friend and dance your booty off. There's one gospel song on there, too. Somebody recommended Kiara Sheard's Please Don't Judge okay. Me with Missy
0: Elliott. I would, I'm going to say that's Missy Elliott's song. <laughs> <laughs> Kiara just did background <laughs> vocals.
1: <laughs> Katie, have you listened to the playlist yet?
2: I'm trying to find it. I hadn't listened to it yet, but I can't find it on Apple play- Playlist. So. If
1: you go to the Theolab Media Instagram or the Holy Shit Pod Instagram, you can click on the link in our bio and there will be links to your respective listening apps.
2: Well. I found it? Great. I, I, not yet, but I'm about to. I've listened to the whole thing. Bullshit.
1: shit. And I will say it's intergenerational. It's cross-cultural. So if you don't like something that you hear, just fast forward to the next track. What
0: he was saying was old people can listen to it and white people can listen to
1: it too. <laughs> but when Big Frida comes on, some of you may flinch. <laughs> I got John Lennon in there. Somebody recommended Imagine There's No Future.
0: So, Katie, you good. We got something in there for you, too. Oh, and white. <laughs> These are great songs, Brandon. It's like almost three hours of music. They're great. I'm telling you, I've listened to it twice. That's how great it is. You are a liar and your whole booty stink.
1: Last but not least, during this choir rehearsal, we invite you to visit the Theolab Media Patreon page. We love talking to you all every single week. And, you know, if you want to put a little love offering in the basket, we wouldn't be mad. It's being passed around right now. You can navigate to patreon.com. That's dot ncom forward slash Theolabmedia to set up a monthly donation that can also be given as a one-time annual
0: gift. And Let me tell y'all something. Some of y'all being blessed and ain't giving. Uh-huh. And in the black church... We'll put you out for some shit like that. Let me tell you.
2: We don't do that in the white church. Let me stop.
1: <laughs> and with that, let's get into the service. I'm glad to be in the service one more time. Let's start with some church announcements. Last week, the United States Senate unanimously passed a bill to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. You heard correctly. The entire Senate, everybody in there, unanimously passed. Unanimously. Unanimously a resolution to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. One day later, the House also passed the same bill with only 14 Republican representatives voting against the bill. Now, we did get together on Tuesday evening after the Senate had already passed the bill, and we had some differences of opinion. We weren't going to include Tuesday evening's content, but Katie really wanted y'all to hear it. Let's play that segment from Tuesday evening's conversation. (laughs) It's still got to get through the House, which I anticipate it will. And it still has to make it across Joe Biden's desk, which I anticipate it will. But this is good
0: news. It is good news, Brandon, but it's what white folks and the powers that be in the United States of America tend to do. Like they will spend all of their energy not passing voting rights bills, and then throw a couple of crumbs so that Black folks can sit down and be quiet. You know, oh, be happy with Juneteenth. We gave you a holiday. You know why y'all y'all Negroes ain't never happy. Now y'all y'all still want to vote. You know, and so I'm happy. You know, I, I'm I'm really happy that Juneteenth is a federal holiday. Don't get me wrong, but there's still some more work for y'all in words to do over there in the government. Yeah,
2: I was surprised that anything happens uh, unanimously. But my cynical nature, I I almost looked up how many people voted. Like, were 100 people there at the vote? Or did some of them just not show up?
1: <laughs> there was a one Republican senator, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who did block the bill in 2020, saying that the day off for federal employees would cost U.S. taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. But this time, Johnson dropped his objection Because despite his concerns, there seemed to be no desire to debate it. So it sounds like it was like one of these unanimous consent things where they didn't actually call for a formal vote, but they were just like, hey, anybody want to be racist and fight this again?
0: And even in 2020, when he refused to allow, you know, debate or, or he refused to allow a vote on it, he said he was all for it. He just couldn't rationalize the price tag of such a holiday.
2: Well, (laughs) my partner said to me this morning, so wait a minute, they're going to do this right before Juneteenth. So the only people who get this off are the legislators because it isn't going to go into effect in time for anybody else to take advantage of it this year.
0: And now they're going to be off today? Trash. The House still has to pass it and Biden has to sign it. It won't go in effect for them either.
2: Biden's going to sign that on Saturday. Biden ain't even here. Then I'm sure Kamala Harris will sign it for him.
0: Do you know when Juneteenth is? Like Juneteenth is in three days. So I'm letting you know that it, it ain't going to happen before then.
2: I don't agree with you. I think the House is going to do it today and I think Biden's going to sign it on Saturday morning. Mark my words i'll bet you five dollars sam it sound like you owe katie some money bro i knew it i know how these people are they're my people they're your
0: people i should have trusted you white gone white exactly white gone white And <laughs> <laughs> white people know white people i should have listened i'm sorry <laughs>
1: that what you shouldn't have taken that bet. katie said run her that check Bring cut them coins. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Once again, white people are now the heroes for black people.
2: Yay, white people. They want the pictures. They want the soundbite. They're going to do it while they ignore all the other things that we need to. We're still <laughs> fighting for voting rights. That's, right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We'll talk
1: more about Juneteenth during the word of Pod for the people of Pod. Thanks, Thanks be to Pod. A few other church announcements. Did y'all know that June was Black Music Month? I did not know that. I didn't know that. And I'm black. And I'm black. I think <laughs> Apple made this shit up. I think Apple made this shit up. I was sitting in my Apple Music app and I was like, why is all this Kenta cloth on my screen? And it kept saying Black Music Month, Black Music Month, but it's like literally a global music celebration. I don't know if it's a made up holiday, but I'm like, how come the gay people done taking over Black Music Month? That's what gay people do.
0: That's all gay people do is take over shit.
2: It's real. It's not just Apple. It was actually started by Jimmy Carter on June 7th in 1979.
0: That's some white people shit. White people (laughs) are the heroes for black. I told you, you (laughs) Only justifying.
2: But in 2009, Barack Obama gave it its current name, which is Black Music Month.
1: So what did Jimmy call it? It don't matter. He called it Song Month. <laughs> oh,
0: shit. Negro Music
1: Month. Plantation Heritage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jimmy's slightly better than that, but he called it Black Music Appreciation Month.
1: Unrelated to Black Music Month, Tyler Perry said he's going to bring Madea back in 2022 for a new film called A Madea Homecoming. Now, I am a little bit mad about this.
0: What is that going to be about? What's that going to be about?
1: I don't know because he said he was retiring Medea. He said she wasn't going to be here. That's the dumbest decision.
2: Did you watch the video of him announcing it?
0: No, I couldn't (laughs) bring myself to do it. It was
2: hysterical because he kept going in and out of his voice and Medea's voice. Oh,
0: he does that even in movies where his character is not Uh Medea. That's why it's hard for me to take him seriously. Even if he's giving a speech like in a church. Oh, really? He gets caught up in the spirit (laughs) and he's like really preaching. Like he does it and doesn't realize it. I don't understand why he even made the decision to retire Madea is what I'm saying. It was time. It was time for us who are tired of it. But I think there is still so many from a from a business, from a financial standpoint, it still makes money and it still bolsters his name. But bear in mind,
1: the progressive liberal black folks is like, hey, why are you making all this money by creating this trope of a black woman who's gun-toting, smoking, cussing, fussing? Why are you making this money on the backs of black women? Now, granted, there are there is space for nuanced argument because Tyler Perry probably employs the most black people of anybody in Hollywood, including black women, but ain't nobody making money like Tyler.
0: I've never seen it as exploitation. I genuinely saw it as someone who was taking their real lived experience, their real life. It, it would be different if Katie sat down and came up with this idea of a black gun-toting mama who smoked and cussed. Um, and it will be different if I'm taking my experience growing up with my big mama and saying so many people can relate to this because that's, a, that's another reality, though, Brandon, that a lot of black communities have is that they can identify this person in their house, in their community, in their family. The nostalgia of watching some of the early Tyler Perry was, that's my Madea. That's my grandma. And so I didn't, I, n- I never saw it as exploitation. I never saw him as trying to just get rich off the backs of this image. But to say, this is what, this is what I grew up with. This was my life. And so that, that's the difference that I saw in
1: it. I mean, and Tyler Perry's not the only one who's done that, right? Eddie Murphy has dressed up like women for years in order to make a dollar. And other black actors have done the same as well. Eddie Murphy's just the person who I can think of most prominently because of the clumps.
2: sure,
0: but sure, but sure, but sure, Sherba. Ooh, <laughs> Cletus, Lord have mercy. Jesus, Cletus. oh Lord have mercy. Cletus, 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 Cletus. But Katie, do you like Tyler Perry? White people love Tyler Perry. They love Madea.
2: You know what? I I have not watched any Tyler Perry movies. I only know the- You racist.
0: (laughs) So before I was- You'll flip all you heard.
2: (laughs) There was really no answer. The the closest I have gotten to anything Tyler Perry is we were taking like a long drive one time when the pandemic first started and we ended up right in front of Tyler Perry's home or compound.
0: Kind of drive y'all was taking. Where y'all was going? Y'all was just driving through the rich people neighborhood? Huh? Tyler Perry's
1: compound is not in the rich people neighborhood.
2: Oh, she said, comp- I thought she said his home. Well, I figured the compound, his home was on the compound. I have no idea. No, 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 no. You talking about Fort,
1: the old Fort, uh, what is it? Fort what, Brandon? I think it's called Fort McPherson. I think Tyler Perry purchased like over 300 acres of Fort McPherson back in 2014, 15, somewhere around there. And I think they just announced like a couple of days ago that Tyler Perry and T.D. Jakes got the approval to purchase another hundred something odd acres of Fort McPherson. And there's going to be an entertainment district out there that just broke recently. But I haven't looked at it in preparation for today's recording. Anyway, Tyler Perry's current portion of Fort McPherson is like where a lot of the film industry goes to do its work in Atlanta because Tyler Perry has houses of every ilk. He has one large building that's a different style house on every side. He has over 10 sound stages that are accessible and usable, all named after black stars, many of which are also named after black women. I don't know the names off the top of my head, but I think there's one for Denzel Washington, one for Sydney Poitier. Oprah Winfrey, of course, has one. Halle Berry. I think Della Reese probably has one. I know Sicily has one. Oh, and Diane Carroll. But that's not the point. The point is Fort McPherson. Yes, that's the compound
0: as Katie has named it.
2: I had no idea about that.
0: I think the word they use in Hollywood is studio. Uh
2: yeah. But if it's a military base, then.
0: Yeah. Tyler Perry Studios. Yeah, studios. It's one of the largest in the world. It's amazing. Like, it's an amazing thing. Like, I
1: am so impressed. But like, it's this weird thing because Tyler Perry's product is definitely like 21st century Chitlin Circuit material. He even admitted to producing an entire movie for Netflix over the course of one week. And I'm sitting there like, you can't do that
0: well. I agree with you unequivocally, Brandon. And I think even his, the writing is subpar. I think uh, so much about his productions aren't great. I actually think some of the stuff that he's done could be better if he just had different writers, same characters, same thing. Like, it could be better. But I still think it doesn't make much business sense to kill off Madea. You know, if you can do a low budget film with people's wigs, it looks like you got the wigs from Walmart.com Listen. and it's still like number one on Netflix, then hey, that's how he's turning the profit.
1: He literally still puts their microphones on their head like they're on the stage. I don't understand.
0: He's literally the person who is selling counterfeit Nikes in the hood.
2: It's working. We ain't gonna get a drive-through tour now, Sam. <laughs> I was
0: gonna
1: say I'm not gonna <laughs> let you trash Tyler Perry because I mean I think from from me it really is attention because like where's the lie? I, I'm not. I'm just there, there's there's attention because this is a black man making moves in Hollywood like nobody else. He, like he like at the end of the day, say what you want about his writing, say what you want about his production, say what you want about his acting, say what you want about Madea. Tyler Perry is a businessman. And if you evaluate him on the grounds of being a good businessman, you won't find anybody else who's doing
0: better. Wait a minute. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not trying to trash him. I'm telling the truth about his product, which is what you just did, Brandon. But I'm also saying is that on a business level, it is genius. He is the person who's turning the most profit because of the way, because he's offering something that he knows a lot of people still want. And they don't give a damn that the people's microphone is showing on the wig. They don't. And so why go spend millions of dollars on wigs when people going to still watch it with that microphone pointing at the top?
2: I got to go watch one now. If you're going to watch one Tyler Perry
0: movie... What would you watch? What's the name of the Netflix one, Brandon, that she needs to go watch with the bad wigs? Uh, Tyler, I hope you don't. I, I, Tyler, I love Medea. I didn't want you to kill her. I just think you need to let me come right for you.
1: It'll be about as good. <laughs> so the movie that, we're, uh, that was on Netflix that was filmed in a week was called A Fall from Grace. It had like Felicia Rashad. Felicia. I hear it both ways. I think she says Felicia. Felicia Rashad and Cicely Tyson in it.
0: Her, na- her name is what we have decided it's going to be. I don't care what she say it is. Her name is Felicia because that's what we said.
2: Okay, wait a minute. This is a horror film again. It's what it says. It's horrible.
0: Oh, so, so if I tell the truth, I'm trashing them. I-
1: <laughs> <laughs> but don't even do that. Like, don't start there. If you're going to watch a Tyler Perry movie, you need to go find somebody who has the DVDs of the old stage plays when they were actually recording the live performances that were happening in theaters around the country. Those are the ones you need to see if you're trying to get like the essence of Tyler Perry. Like if you're a real fan, you're going to go back and look at I Know I've Been Changed. But I think that the place that most people would look as a starting point is his stage play I Can Do Bad About By Myself and uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. That concludes our church announcements for the day. For now we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking
0: about Juneteenth. One of our listeners said, every time I talk, I sound like a preacher. Don't let me catch you on these streets. I just want to say that. I just want to drop that in there. Don't let me catch you in these
2: streets. He might
0: preach you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> Why are you threatening our listeners? Put that anywhere you want to in the pocket.
1: <laughs> Today's episode and every episode of the Holy Shit Pod is brought to you by... Theolab Media. Theolab exists to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, culture, and the world around them. Theolab believes that candid conversations rooted in vulnerability, mutual respect, and authenticity can inspire each of us to be more fully human. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, I want to invite you to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Theolab
0: Media to leave a little love offering. Now let me do that a little bit uh, With a little more churchy shit If you've been blessed by the word of pie We want you to head on over to Patreon Forward slash Theolab Media And drop a little love offering in the basket I was always taught You gotta pay where you eat You don't go get your food at McDonald's And go pay the people at Hardee's So go on and bless the people over at Theolab Media
2: It's a good thing that it's not right When they say that you preach all the time But that was good
1: (laughs) All right, let's get back into it Today's Word of Pod for the people of Pod is all about Juneteenth. Last week, almost exactly like Katie predicted, the House quickly passed the Senate's Juneteenth bill on Wednesday, which was followed by the Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. signing the bill into law on Thursday, making last Friday, June the 18th, the first ever Juneteenth federal holiday. Just in case some of you have been unplugged from the news and or sleeping under a rock, let's give a little background info about Juneteenth. White woman,
2: show the people you've done your homework. So Juneteenth is when uh, one of the Union generals um, made it to Texas at a spot in Galveston, Texas, and let the state of Texas know that slavery had been eliminated in the Confederate states. Two years prior. Clarify it. Well, I just learned that. It's because you did your homework. I mean, Kentucky and Delaware still had slaves until the 13th Amendment was passed at the end of 1865, which was three years after the Emancipation Proclamation.
0: So literally, what Katie's saying is Abe Lincoln, this other hero of white folks. I mean, some people think he's hero of black folks, too, but I, I reserve my... Judgment on that. Signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It took two years.
1: Yep. Wait a minute. If you're going to tell the story, tell the whole story. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation and it only applied to To the the Confederate Confederate States. states in the South. Correct. Right. Over which he did not have power. He did nothing for the emancipation of slaves in the Northern states where he actually had power
0: at the time.
2: Yes. And that was January 1st of 1863.
0: But as it relates to the Confederate States, it wasn't until June 19th, 1865 that the word reached Galveston, Texas. And so for two years, folks were still enslaved. They had not even received word of emancipation until two years after it was signed.
1: I mean, it's been 156 years and I think some folks still ain't heard.
2: <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing about calling a national... Independence Day is you're skipping all of the things that happened after that um, and the current prison system that continues to enslave Black folk.
0: I kind of appreciate the language because I've never, I won't say never. Um, I think when I was younger, we loved the 4th of July. I put on my 4th of July outfit and we had barbecues and we had fireworks. And probably for the last two decades, I have not celebrated on the 4th. Because once I learned about Juneteenth, I was like, no, this is this is my this is my holiday. This is the day I'm gonna choose to celebrate independence. Sam, that's good because
1: I think I'm in a similar boat. Over the last few years, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to celebrate Juneteenth and then also what to do with myself on July the 4th. It sounds as if you may have some traditions or rituals in place. Help a brother out.
0: For us, it really has been family coming together, spending time together, almost the same way that we used to celebrate the 4th of July. Being outdoors in the summer heat, Jesus, barbecuing, and really coming together as a family. I think more recently, we've been... Having conversations, especially with younger members of the family, about what this history means, about the importance of history as Black people in America. That is now becoming more of a tradition, but really at the heart of it is the coming together, Black families coming together experiencing and enjoying each other while we are able to do so.
2: Karen, what about you? I have not celebrated Juneteenth. I have looked at it more as a time to learn about it. I mean, I'm still learning stuff today about Juneteenth and emancipation and things. So it doesn't feel appropriate for me to celebrate it, but it doesn't feel appropriate for me to learn about it. Do you disagree?
0: Why do you think it doesn't feel appropriate for you to celebrate it?
2: For me, I guess it's more reflective as I've been reading more and more stuff and things that I've learned just in preparation for this episode. I'm just continuously more aware of the trauma that white folks and our our hold on history that we have. And so to me, it has felt like a time of reflection and awareness. So I'm not sure throwing a white person party about Juneteenth is, I don't know. I had to think about that. Why you be laughing?
1: I'm laughing because I didn't come from a cultural context a family that celebrated Juneteenth. I didn't know about Juneteenth until I was in seminary. It took me moving from Nashville to Atlanta to become aware of Juneteenth. And when I first became aware of it, I was like, oh my God, like this makes so much sense. Like why haven't Black people been celebrating this for years? at least not Black people that I've been connected to. And I don't know if that was unique to my experience or if that was something that a lot of other Black folks experienced. It feels like in the last five to 10 years, maybe, Juneteenth has become this thing that everybody's talking about and everybody is highlighting it. maybe it's social media. Maybe it's just the age that we're living in. And maybe it's all the police brutality that has been publicized. Not that it's been happening, because it's always been happening. But the violence against Black people that is being displayed on television that is causing this sort of national, even global conversation about what it means to be Black and what it means to be free and Black.
0: I think there's a reality that there's been a greater awareness in the last decade about Juneteenth. I think a lot of people, a lot of Black people did not know the history behind Juneteenth, or even the event itself, some people did not know that this thing happened. Brandon and I think—I mean, the—I think the reality is, if you take someone like you who's traveled the world and got like 20 degrees, and you know myself, and we only found out about it as adults in college or in seminary. You know what I'm saying? Think about the folks who've never gone outside of their city limits or never traversed the world as you have, or as I have, or as Katie have And so, I think a lot of people are just coming into the awareness of Juneteenth, and that's why we see it exploding. So I guess for me, when we talk about things like freedom, we talk about things like justice,
1: we have to have those conversations in a manner that takes the context and the people about whom we're speaking seriously. And so for all of my life, I've been told that July the 4th is the holiday wherein America celebrates its independence. Even as a child, there was something about that holiday that never really felt like a celebration. It it never felt like I was actually celebrating America. I would go to my Aunt Rosetta's house and she would have a volleyball net and my Uncle Buford would be on the grill and we would have all the good food and there'll be a space tournament going on on the patio. The children got hot dogs. The adult got the ribs. Um, <laughs> but the whole family came together. And my Aunt Rosetta would have bounce houses for the kids and we would have fireworks that we would shoot off in the street, even though it was illegal in that state. But we had family time on July the 4th, but it never actually felt like a celebration for, of, of our independence or our freedom. I'm curious if Black people spent the same amount of time and energy investing in celebrating Juneteenth. I don't want to replicate a July the 4th holiday, but I want to figure out significant cultural ways to celebrate our Blackness and to celebrate our freedom and to acknowledge the ways that we still need to become free. So to your point, Katie, I'm not certain I want white people involved in that celebration. I think there's an observance. I think there's a political solidarity. And I don't know. I I don't want to create a barrier to say, like, white people can't celebrate I would say that you just have to do so in a more reflective or contemplative manner and figure out how you're sensitive to the fact that for many black people, just like Sam has just said, we're still learning about Juneteenth and trying to figure out how to make this a part of our annual sort of liturgical communal rhythm.
0: I kind of agree with Brandon, but I kind of do want folks like Katie to find a way to celebrate it so that certain white folks can look at her with their head tilted and kind of say, why are you celebrating this? You're not black. What, what, you know, and, 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 and then you can say, you know, this is why, this is why I'm celebrating this. This is why this is important. This is why white people need to have an awareness and need to understand that the 4th of July wasn't shit for black folks. And so this is why this day is important. This is why I take my time as a white woman to say, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to reflect on it. I'm going to teach my child about it. I'm going to do these things. To me, that's a celebration. And I hope that you will do that as a white person for other white people. I ain't saying you need to celebrate it for black people. We don't need you to do that.
2: That's a helpful distinction because that is what I do. So to think about that as a celebration, I like that. I'm going to have to think about that more deeply. I think for me, how I do that is something I don't know yet because I'm not going to change my Facebook profile to be something just so I can look like all the other social justice white people or put a Black Lives Matter sign in my. No, don't
0: do that. No, we're going to talk about you. Me and Brandon are going to talk about
2: you. I know, but so so it's a it's a slower process, and I think I'm intrigued to know that this is something you all are just recently learning about as well. What I learned was that slavery ended in 1865. So somehow the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation and Juneteenth got conflated in the history books, right? And it was incorrect. So I think for me talking about the history and having people become aware of that is probably my celebration.
1: I think you should do blackface. <laughs> you are a horrible person. So I want to take another quick break to decenter whiteness once again, and then we'll come back in and talk more about the exploitation of Juneteenth and what it means for the United States government to affirm it as a federal holiday. We'll be right back after this. Katie, how would you do an appeal in the Presbyterian church? Would you just, y'all wouldn't actually do it from the pulpit? you would be able to talk to like all people about their estates and try to get them to give their stuff to the church when they died.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was never, I was, I was never important enough to do that. No, we, yeah, no, we just spend time in our governing board sessions talking about how we need to do that. And then the people who are supposed to do it, never do it because we don't tell them. And then the offering is just like, All that we've been given is God.
0: No, we got to work that money up out of folks. We got to (laughs) convince that money up out of their pockets.
2: Now, don't you, isn't it true that in some uh, black churches, you'll do multiple offerings? Like we didn't get enough. In almost every black church.
0: (laughs) No, I won't say that. That's almost every, I think there's, there's multiple offerings scheduled in every black church, but I grew up in a country church where literally they would take up the offering. The deacons would count it at the front of the church. And then they would say, we need, 15 more dollars,
2: right? Right, right.
0: We need uh 15 more dollars because they're trying to get like the 300 or the 400, even. Uh, can we get we need about 20 more dollars? <laughs> and people will walk back up, they'll bring their money back up and, and reach that 15. And then you got these prosperity preachers who will be like, Yeah, we won't get into that. We need to do a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a whole episode,
2: that is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so welcome back to the conversation. After that quick pause, we have de-centered whiteness and we are back in the thick of it. Into the thick of it, y'all clearly don't look at TikTok videos.
2: I don't watch TikTok videos unless you send them to me. Do you watch TikTok? No.
1: (laughs) So as we prepare to wind down today's conversation, I think what's been challenging to me is the corporatization or the exploitation of Juneteenth. Not only the federal government has learned to celebrate this holiday or is becoming aware of this holiday and figuring out ways to support and celebrate it. There are also universities that are doing the same thing, corporations that are doing the same thing. Name them. I'm not going to name them, but you can if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) Last week, we talked about the exploitation of pride and the corporatization of pride and how in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily that these corporations and congregations are saying, hey, we love gay people, but they're saying, hey, gay money can be spent here as well. And I think with Juneteenth, this particular move of the U.S. Senate, and, uh, and I'm not trying to be contrarian at all. I'm just trying to encourage all of us to think critically. My goal is never to be contrarian or to be pessimistic, but it's to say, how do we think critically about what's happening around us? If we just take everything that people give us, hook, line, and sinker, then we're falling for some bullshit. We have to think about the implications of what's happening. Now that the Senate has passed a bill, the House passed the bill. Joe Biden signed it into law. What does that actually do for black people? How does it impact our everyday lives? What does it do for the sake of freedom?
0: Uh, The post office is going to have some Juneteenth stamps that you can buy. Walmart and Target and Google is going to have a Juneteenth, you know, logos. They already do. They're going to be selling T-shirts. Before, you know, the last five years, you had to go to your local black-owned T-shirt maker. And you need to still go to them. Don't you go buy no Juneteenth stuff out of Walmart. Don't do it. Don't order it from Amazon. Go to your local black shirt maker and continue to get your Juneteenth stuff because, Brandon, you're absolutely right. I'm scrolling last week and I see one of the institutions that I attended that's like, oh, come in here, this speaker who's going to commemorate our Juneteenth celebration. And I'm like, y'all didn't commemorate that when I was there a few years ago and I know you knew about it. Now it's kind of like, oh, I can post about this. I can make a banner about this. This can be a part of our recruiting. Oh, look at us. We're diverse. So we acknowledge these things that are important to the black people and come, be a part of our family. And it's like bullshit, you know? And Brandon, I don't buy that you're not cynical. Like, that's not your goal. Like, you're shit. Like, these people clearly don't know you. Pessimists, what? That's you. But I agree with you on this point.
1: I am not pessimistic. I actually just value critical thinking. And I think in a world that doesn't value critical thinking, when you come in with a critical lens, it can feel like criticism and it can feel like cynicism. But really, all I'm saying is let's think, people. It's never enough for me to be like woohoo. Now I might have a little pessimism in my spirit. If somebody comes and gives me $100, I'm going to say why. Now I'm going now, now before I ask why, I'm going to hold on to the bill. <laughs> Give me okay, <laughs> thank you. Now why are you giving me this?
0: Y'all, I told Brandon the other day, I was going to be a president of an institution. He said if you're going to be a president of an institution, I'm going to be president of the United States of America. Now y'all know Brandon already told us he ain't no politician. He ain't gonna basically he was saying that shit ain't gonna never happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. question. <Does Correct>. It... <laughs> Well, correction. What I said is you can't be the pastor and the president of a school. I said that you had two or three different trajectories. I was trying to minister to you and feed into your life and help you achieve your goal. And so I'm one of your friends to be like, if you bought this shit, here's how we going to get there together.
2: And he said, and you still going to work for me, Nickel. That is true. That is absolutely true, Brandon. Oh, absolutely. I mean. And you did say, if you're going to be a president of an institution, I'm going to be president of the U.S. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) But that was me trash talking because Sam said first that I was going to be working for him. You're going to work for me. Yes, that is what he said. (laughs) So don't do me. I got the text message thread. So back
2: to Juneteenth. I think what happens is like it's not enough for these presidents of these corporations and and these institutions to claim it as something that they're going to celebrate or honor or what have you. I think then it becomes, it's incumbent upon us to say, okay, what are we going to do about this? First of all, how are we going to celebrate it? How are we going to educate about it? But also, how are we going to say that this institution today still doesn't honor the freedom of Black folks?
1: Well, that's the work, Karen. And I'm grateful that you asked the question because it'll sound less cynical out of a white woman's mouth because that's the only question I'm ever asking. I'm not ever saying to you, stop doing things. Because I think a lot of times what happens, and I'm not recentering whiteness in this moment, what's at stake for me in this comment is the freedom of Black people. And what oftentimes happens is white people view every single thing that they do as an end. We have passed this bill. We have arrived. We have finally done something to commemorate and acknowledge Juneteenth at a national level. Check the box. And what everybody needs to understand is, yes and. It's for the rest of your life. It will always be yes, and. What is the next step you can take? That's the one question I ask everybody. What is the most faithful next step you can take? And if you're not taking steps, then you're stagnant. And if you're stagnant, then history is catching up with you. And the thing that you did five years ago that you thought was so glorious and so magnificent and so wonderful and so amazing, now is the same thing as Abraham Lincoln, freeing slaves in the South, in the Confederacy, where he had no power to do so. You have to keep taking steps or your history catches up with you.
0: The same Abraham Lincoln that said at the beginning of the whole process, if it were up to me and I had some land over in Liberia somewhere, I would send all the black people there. That's what he said. I'm just saying. But I'm the pessimist. <laughs> That's the question. Like, so to the Senate, who unanimously passed this, what's the next faithful step? HR one, the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill. Like, what's the next faithful step? Because you can, this is smoke and mirrors. You can't say, oh, look, we gave you a holiday. But we're going to still oppose measures that will give Black people uh, more access to voting. You can't say, oh, look, we gave you a holiday, but we're still going to redistrict and redraw lines so that Black people don't have the same power politically. You can't Mm -hmm. say, oh, we're going to give you a holiday, but we're still going to promote white supremacist ideology. Mm -hmm. And that's what has always happened. And so while I'm happy and I'm... And like you say, Brendan, yes, and yes for Juneteenth as a federal holiday. And we still got some more shit that you need to do.
2: And and is it one of those federal holidays that everyone has to follow? Or is it one of those that you're allowed to just say, well, our institution will give that into... You already know. I, under- I do know. But that's why I'm saying... <laughs> because that's why you can't end up replicating July 4th. I mean, one of the reasons why you have these family gatherings on July 4th is because everybody's off. Like, except for your first responders, they're not off. But everybody else is off. Right.
0: Everybody, like the 4th of July is a holiday. Literally that everything, almost everything is closed, right? The last job that I worked at, they did a modified work schedule. So you had like Fridays off in June, but there wasn't a holiday associated with that. And so some institutions might just be like, oh, wait, let's just stick Juneteenth on this Friday. Let's just, oh, this is your Juneteenth holiday. Right,
2: right. We've been offering that to you for years. You've been getting the whole Fridays off. No, they got to add in a Monday or add a Thursday. But it's not just about adding days. If
1: we're talking about Juneteenth, let's lean into what Juneteenth is and what it means. What Juneteenth is about, as we've already highlighted, is the fact that for two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was in effect, there are people in the state of Texas, in the city of Galveston, who did not hear about it, who were still enslaved on somebody's plantation. And so the question that I believe we need to be asking annually is that for all the black people in our organization, for people of the African diaspora in our organization, how can we account for the fact that there's at least two years and yep. we have not been paying these people equitably?
0: Where are my two years of back pay? I know. I <laughs> <laughs> I need two years of PTO. I need two years of back pay, two years of vacation time. I don't know how you're going to work it out, and I need it every two years. (laughs)
2: Wait a minute. I want to get in on that, too. So the Republican
1: senator from Wisconsin, his primary concern was, we're going to lose a lot of money if we let people off on this holiday. And so there is a financial implication to Juneteenth. And so if you're concerned about letting people off, what if it was about a direct payment? What if... You said to all your white staff members, we're going to create this bucket of money and it can be a charitable contribution. You can write it off on your taxes so you still even get a benefit as a white person. And we want to give each black person who works here at least fifteen hundred dollars in additional compensation. Or if you're at Apple, we want to give black people 20 shares of Apple, no matter the price, every single year on Juneteenth as an act of restitution. As an act of reparations Until we get to the place Where we're having Those kinds of conversations Then the federal law Doesn't matter So you can call it cynical If you want to But really it's an act of hope It's an act of determination It's a mindset That believes What Frank Wilderson wrote About social death And how this country Needs black people to die And so when you live In a world That values black death In that way That needs black death In that way In spite of the resurrection In spite of the Christ When you come into the world And you say Hey I value black Black people, and I'm organizing my life around the flourishing of black people to whatever extent that is possible in a world that only desires to kill us, then of course you're gonna sound like a fucking cynic. If your goal is to actually acknowledge the fact that y'all killed George Floyd and we watched it on video, then this ain't enough. If your goal is to acknowledge that the country enslaved black people and still enslaves black people, this is a cute first step. And I mean cute in the way that Southerners mean precious. This is real cute. Now, what's next?
0: Oh, come to the altar. Brandon's arms are open
2: wide. You just made him God?
0: That's like the altar, the Theolab altar. He's the God of Theolab. Oh, okay. I'm not the God of Theolab. <laughs> He's the God of holy shit. I, I'll be the God of that.
2: He is the God of shit. Because <laughs> we come to the of this episode. <laughs> We
1: haven't been explicitly theological in this episode. At least you may not think we have. This entire conversation is theological. For those of you who listen to this because it's churchy, and for those of you who listen to this for a type of sermon on a weekly basis, I want to make that explicit turn to invite you
0: to life more abundantly.
1: So my siblings of the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All Saints and Nates, what are our invitations for listeners?
0: I'm reflecting on something that Brandon just said about Reparations, and what I heard was on some level reparations. That's not by the government. Everybody has a responsibility to think critically about these things, and what's that faithful next step? Because a lot of white people will have a problem with what you said, Brandon. Create a fund, you know, to pay black people. Uh, I didn't own slaves, and it's it's amazing. I, one of my colleagues talked about how. White Christians or Christians in general can believe in the doctrine of original sin, that the sin of Adam had to be redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. And we live into this reality, right? That because of this initial thing, There had to be some action. There had to be something that brought about some type of transformation or some type of redemption. But this somehow doesn't apply to the historic oppression of black people in the United States. And so it's baffling that we're a part of this Christian tradition where we believe in this thing, but it doesn't apply in this other arena, right? It doesn't, no, no, that was their sin. That has nothing to do with me. You know, uh, my whiteness ain't got nothing to do with that. But yay, Jesus for dying on the cross, right? Okay. I want to invite you all who are listening, especially my white folks, to really think critically about the role that your whiteness plays, Um, whether you own slaves or not, whether you think you're racist or not. Whether you have never said the N-word, any of those things that you use as markers for, you know, you being this good white person. I want you to think critically about what whiteness means in this world and the ways in which, as a people, white folks got to atone for the shit that they did. I'm just being real. Like, y'all might not want to hear that, but I'm just being real. Think about it. I ain't saying you gotta, I, the first step, I just want you to think about it, especially you folks who, who feel like you don't have a role. Think about it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do.
2: Well, my invitation is for white folks as well. Those are the people I can talk to about this. I think I've been so struck by just the lack of knowledge of history. I mean, I've known that it was bad, but this particularly is trying on me today. So I think that it is essential that we are continuing to seek out the history and the truth of what Our country has done, and what our people have done to Black folks. I'm on board for reparations, but somehow, when you said, like we were working for two extra years, you know, you weren't even saying we were working 250 years. You were saying we worked for two extra years. Let's think about this. If you don't think that people should be paid for slavery, then paying for those two years that folks were working when they were supposed to be free—that makes even more. I don't know how you can deny that. I mean. I've heard people deny reparations. I wasn't there. I didn't have slaves. The people who are around today weren't slaves. I mean, that's ridiculous. We have, our entire country has been founded on slavery. We are not a superpower unless we had enslaved people building our country.
0: On the bones of Native Americans. I'm sorry.
2: Correct. After we we just eliminated the Native Americans, exactly. And so I think we cannot trust the history books. I think of all the extra work I do, with my child when she's learning history. And I'm like, this has to be something that each and every one of us is engaged in. We cannot support the textbook companies. We have to do extra work and extra research and extra listening. And we have to be part of the push to do the yes and that our institutions, where we work, where we study, we have to challenge them. So I guess my invitation is to learn. To listen not just to white people.
0: That's good. Say that part again.
2: (laughs) Listen not just to white people, even the ones that think they know what they're doing, and be prepared to act, but you can't act before you listen.
0: Oh, come to
1: the altar. I think I have two separate invitations, actually. The first is to primarily white folks, but it's to everyone. And that is take some time to develop intimacy with your fear, to identify your fear, embrace your fear, and then learn to not be consumed by it. Because I think part of the challenge here is everybody is scared. So if we pull the thread of Juneteenth, and that's a type of truth telling that has implications, because if I keep pulling this thread, exactly what's happened on this episode is going to happen if I acknowledge the fact that Juneteenth occurred, then I might have to acknowledge slavery. And if I have to acknowledge slavery, I might have to acknowledge the fact that this country was built on the backs of black folks. And if I acknowledge this country was built on the backs of black folks, then I have to acknowledge the fact that that was also built on top of the bones of Native peoples, indigenous peoples. And if I acknowledge the fact that the indigenous people's bones are crying out from the ground and their blood is crying out from the ground. Where is that going to lead me? What else am I going to have to acknowledge? And I think the root fear is, are we actually going to get to the place where my whiteness is decentered and where capitalism stops supporting me most? Even though I don't have Steve Jobs' money, I still got money from it. I still benefit from the pension. I still benefit from the 401k. I still benefit from the stocks. I still benefit from the bonds. Are we going to get to the place where all that crumbles? Because I don't want to give up my shit So befriend your fear and figure out what it means to create new life together. Because every time we talk about this, what you, what everybody knows, what your soul knows, is that if we keep pulling this thread, somebody about to get implicated and it don't matter if you own slaves directly or not. Because there are still ways in which you participate in and benefit from this capitalist slave economy. And the second invitation is to black folks. Let's do the work of figuring out what it means to one, love one another. And once we've done that, I believe that it'll be our model for also loving our Latinx, Latino, Latina siblings. It'll be the model for loving our indigenous siblings. It'll be our model for loving our Asian siblings. And it'll be so powerful. At the end of the day, Black folks, we powerful. The world doesn't move without us. And I'm not confident that white folks are ever going to get it. And honestly, I don't care if they get it. But what I want us to do is build something that is so compelling and to cultivate a love that is so strong that whiteness has to bow at its altar. So at the end of the day, whiteness has to bow at the altar. White supremacy has to bow at the altar. And anyone who identifies with whiteness or white supremacy has to bow at the altar.
0: Is there a distinction between white folks and whiteness? Are you saying whiteness has to bow at the altar or white folks?
1: I am saying whiteness. And I think when whiteness bows at the altar, that will mean that some white folks are on their knees. That will mean that some black folks are on their knees. Clarence Thomas needs to be in the front of the line. My God. Because whiteness is a mindset.
0: It's a perversion.
1: It's a perversion. And so I'm not here to police people's blackness, but I'm here to say that if we're creating this thing, this community that has an ethos of loving black people at its core, there will be some people for whom that idea will be anathema. They will be unable to understand how to live in a world that values, centers, loves, cares for black people. To go back to that conversation with Yolanda Norton. They'll be unable to place black people, black women, black trans women, black non-binary humans at the center of what we call sacred. And I'm not trying to make blackness an impasse. Because just like Clarence Thomas has proven... Skin folk ain't kin folk. When the God of the Hebrew Bible says to the children of Israel, you have become the oppressor. And as a result of you becoming the oppressor, I've got to reorient my relationship with you. So don't get cocky. Because the second you start oppressing people, the second you live into those homophobic ideals and you keep on killing black trans women, black men, God will spit you out. (laughs) I just got Baptist. We got to (laughs) go. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and Aints. We are grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod.
0: Listen, one of the things that we love the most is connecting with you, our listeners. Send an email to theolabmedia.com to connect with us, ask a question, submit a discussion topic, or just say hello.
2: As you know, we believe word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Church of Holy Shit. So take five seconds to share this episode with a friend who needs to laugh, or that relative who needs to be challenged. And
0: if you're listening in the Apple Podcast or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, please leave an honest rating and a review of no less than five stars. That just <laughs> that's just another helpful way to send us feedback, and we appreciate it.
2: And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Theolab Media. And leave us a little love offering in the offering basket.
1: All right, good people. We'll be back next week. And we'll be having a discussion submitted to us by a Holy Shit Pot listener out of Atlanta, Georgia. We're talking about pronouns and why they matter. We'll be in the same place at the same time. Until then, peace. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Justice is calling. Leave behind your white supremacy and your hate.
0: Come today, there's no reason to wait. Blackness is calling.